Welcome to Pain of a Mother's Broken Heart podcast. I am your host, Latanya McGuire. This podcast is dedicated to giving hope, helping one person every day. Listen, grab your snack, your favorite cup of coffee, your favorite tea, and come on and join us on this ride for the next 45 minutes. If you like what you hear, and if you've been encouraged, help us help one person every day by sharing this podcast. We thank you and we are so excited for the next 45 minutes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So listen, I'm Latanya McGorder. As I said, I'm your host and I'm going to tell you right from the door. I have no idea what I'm doing, but what I do know is it is my mission. I should be helping people with, with what they're going through based off my experience. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself within these next 45 minutes to kind of give you an idea of what pain of a mother's broken heart consists of. Um, So I am the mother of one son, um, as I like to call him, my man child, Um, Lance. He's 31 years old. And 11 years ago, my son was involved in a horrific, um, situation which landed him in prison um they gave him a 25 year sentence where he was told he's going to have to serve 85 percent with no chance of early release um can you imagine i want you to just try to put yourself in my shoes for a minute uh for some of you this may not be a hard thing to do because there are some people listening to this podcast that already know how this feels. Imagine um, your only child, the first boy of a small family, the first grandchild, right? You got big hopes for this child. You're already setting up, you know, things for him to do, a path for him to go. And he decides to go left. You know, I remember um, when everything went down and actually before things happened, I remember telling my son, I see a train wreck happening before the train even leaves, leaves the station. And of course, you know, He thought that when he turned 18, that he was magically this adult. And I said to him, you know, actually, you're the same dumb kid (laughs) the day before when you were 17. You don't get these magical adult um, qualities and adult, you know, things just because you turn 18. You still have to be groomed. You still have to be molded. You still have to evolve. And to make a long story short, he ended up being with a group of people. Um, these murders happened. And now I get a phone call. I remember this like it was yesterday. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's still very emotional. Um, thus why I've been writing the book, Pain of a Mother's Broken Heart, for the last at least nine to ten years. And I still haven't got through it because when I write parts of this book, I still feel that pain that I felt. So the first chapter of the book is actually called The Call. And what I do is I talk about that day um, that I got the call. So I worked overnight at a crisis unit as a crisis um, clinician. And 
When I got off that morning, I decided since I didn't have to go to work that night, I was going to stay up all night, all day long so that I will be able to go to sleep that night. So I run some errands. I was living in Philadelphia at the time. My family was in New Jersey across the bridge. So I do some errands. I do laundry. I cook food. And I'm dating a guy that lives a couple doors down from me. And he's always cooking for me. Um, shout out to Joe. Joe's an excellent cook. So I decided to cook that day. And that evening, I take him some food. Now, prior to that, my son, um, he had been wanting to go move to North Carolina for like the longest and when he saw that he wasn't getting a job here, and I had been encouraging him for months, listen, you should go down to North Carolina where your father's family is at because you have all your first cousins who are slightly older who can help you. You know, you have aunts down there, you know, where you just probably could do better than you can up here in Camden, New Jersey. He didn't listen, but finally he warmed up to the idea. And in January, he's like, Mom, I think I want to go down south. I was like, well, we don't have the money. Let's wait till February. He was getting SSI benefits. Let's just wait. You have the money. You won't have to mooch off of your um, aunts and uncles and things like that. So a couple days before he's supposed to leave is when these murders happen. And, you know, we didn't know, the family didn't know, because initially he lied, uh, which is something he did quite well. As a matter of fact, he lied better than a rug would lie and with custom fitters, you know. But so he lies about what's going on and he goes to North Carolina anyway. Um, I guess he thought that his part in this whole ordeal wasn't the result of the, the, you know, the person dying. So, you know, he reaches out to people, you know, his friends, anybody have any connections with Amtrak, get me a, you know, cheap ticket or whatever. So he goes to North Carolina um, and I get a call um, from my son. Now, mind you, I'm down the street at my friend's house, dropping him off some food. And he's like, won't you just stay a while? I'm like, no, I'm really tired. Like, what does he not understand about me being tired? So I noticed that there was a movie on TV with Samuel Jackson, Deep Blue Sea. And so I said to my friend, have you seen this movie before? He says, no. I said, well, I'm going to stay until you see what happens to Samuel L. Jackson. Now, for those of you that are listening, and for those of you that saw the movie, you know good and well what happens to Samuel L. Jackson. So I'm sitting on the side of the bed, and I remember so vividly getting the call from my son. And, you know, he had just gotten down there, like, not too long ago, so I really didn't expect to hear from him no time soon. So he calls me, and I'm like... Why doth thy stalketh me in my very biblical vernacular? And so he was like, Mom, I think someone's after me. And I'm like, boy, shut up. There's no one after you. You're being paranoid. Because mind you, he told us he never went into the house and he just heard a dialogue. And that day he came up to the college where I teach at and he sat in my class until it was time to go home. And he was a little quiet. Um, the normal, but not out of the ordinary. And so he says, I'll call you right back. So he hangs up 
And five minutes go by, he calls me back. And he's like, Mom, there's a lot of cars in Uncle Duck's parking lot, which was the uncle that he was um, staying with while he was down there. And I'm like, he's like, Mom, I'll call you right back. So about 10 minutes go past, he doesn't call me back. So I'm like, you know what, let me call his uncle. So I call down there and I say, hey, Duck, what's going on with this boy? And he reveals to me that the federal marshals kicked in his door, put him up against the wall with guns drawn, made his wife come out the bedroom and her nightclothes say that they are looking for my son for two counts of first degree murder. I was devastated. That's actually, that's an understatement. And so... I immediately get off the phone and, you know, I am a Christian, um, um, a former pastor, you know, like spirituality is my life. I believe in, in, in God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross. Like I am, I am that girl, you know, that prayer warrior. And so the first thing I did, I couldn't even process it called my mom, I called my family, I called my pastor, um, the late Bishop William F. Fleming Tide, um, that man really, and I'll tell you more about him, how he actually had a big part of this podcast. And so I'm like, I need you all to pray. Something's going on with Lance, whatever, whatever. So I'm telling my friend what happened. I'm crying. I'm crying. I am crying. And he's like, what? Is something the matter with your mom? Did something happen to your dad? Like, I can't get out. I can't formulate words to tell him what happened. And the only thing I could get out was he was there. He was in the house. And my my friend had told me, he said, you know, I saw your son around the corner at 15th and Wharton because we're in South Philly at the time with some seedy looking characters and everything started clicking. When I woke up the next morning, my friend said, you cried all night long. When I looked in the mirror, for some of you that are fans of Martin Lawrence and ever saw the Martin Lawrence show and the episode where he does a benefit fight with Tommy Hearns, the fighter. And at the very end of the episode, he's hugging Gina on the sofa. And when he goes to show his face, he has lumps and bumps. His face is distorted. His head is huge. That's what my face looked like from crying all night long. I immediately go into social work phase because that's what I'm into. Um, I didn't process what was really going on, you know. And so my son gets back, extradited back to Camden. And the main thing we told him not to do, he does. We told him, don't speak to nobody about anything let us get an attorney don't talk of course the first thing he does is I want to speak to somebody about my case as we all know boys don't develop brain wise until they're about 25 well he was 19 going on 20 immaturity at its best things go on We go through, we don't do a trial. He takes a deal, which I wish he didn't have done, he wouldn't have done, which we didn't know any better. 
nobody does. Uh, my son gets sentenced. Something so beautiful came out of that tragedy. During the time um, when my son was going back and forth to court, the mother of the young, the grandmother and, and uncle of the young lady that was killed, um, which incidentally was not uh, the murder my son was convicted of, um, they were coming to court, coming to court, coming to court. And I remember my son saying to me, Mom, could you please just tell, you know, Mariah's family? And I was like, Lance, I really, really don't want to violate any victim's rights. So I don't think that would be a good idea. Well, there's one particular day we're at court and Mariah's uncle comes to me and he says, listen, my mom and I just wanted to let you know that we can tell that Lance isn't like the other co-defendants because it was a total of 10 people all together. Lance was one of 10 people. And so that that warmed my heart. But you know, it gets better. The day my son was sentenced, um, I was so distraught. I had so many people there supporting me in the courtroom. And I remember after my son was sentenced to 25 years, let me tell you something. You don't know pain and a broken heart until you've heard A judge say, I remand you to the New Jersey Department of Corrections for 25 years. I'm telling you, it rips your soul. I'm crying. I'm just so distraught. I'm in the hallway. And the young lady's grandmother comes up to me and hugs me kisses my cheek and says to me, I'm so sorry. He got that time. He didn't deserve 25 years. And she immediately starts praying for me in that moment. It was the most surreal thing. And she says, if you need anything, you ever want to talk, here is my number. Call me. This woman's name was Mother Huff. She's since gone on to be with the Lord. She's resting, waiting for that great getting up morning. For those of you that are listening, that believe in heaven and hell, you'll truly understand that last statement that I made. And I later see Mother Huff in goodwill. And we hug and embrace. And for this woman to embrace me, the victimizer's mother, that was epic. Later on, as I go on, I see a memory or memorial page for the young man, Michael Hawkins. And I lost the page, couldn't find it again. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I really want to find his family. Because my son had told me some things that he had said to Michael in Michael's final moments on this earth. I go back on the page and I happen to see the woman who is the moderator of the page. I contact her and I tell her, you know, I would like to talk to you. She asks me, what is this about? And when I tell her, she says, listen, I'm going to the reserves this weekend. She says, I've been praying for you. 
when she said that, I was like, this is ordained by God for me to contact this woman. She says, I'm going to call you when I come back from the reserves. We meet, we, we talk on the phone, rather, and we're keeping contact, you know, on Facebook and things like that. And June rolls around the graduation for my alma mater high school, Camden High. And she works at Camden High. And I'm sitting on the bleachers because uh, my alumni, we are giving a scholarship. And she, we lock eyes, like we see each other in the distance. And I'm coming off the bleachers saying, Lord, don't let me fall. This will be so embarrassing. And she and I hug and we're like, she's like, let's take a picture after the graduation. And so the graduation commences and we take a picture. And a reporter for the Enquirer who had been following this story, he contacts me and says, listen, I saw a picture of you and Michael Hawkins' surrogate mother. Uh, you guys friends? And I was like, yeah, like, we've been supporting each other. <clears throat> and he says, well, if I call her, will she corroborate this same story? I'm like, yeah. Uh, let me give a disclaimer. If you hear any lawnmowers in the background, it's because they're doing some lawn care in my neighborhood. I'm in my closet, but for some reason, this sound is coming through so greatly. And so I apologize. And my dogs are having a fit downstairs. You know, this is my very first podcast. I apologize, but I promise you, if you just keep tuning in, this will get better. All right, so back to the story. So he calls her. She he tells she tells him the same exact thing. And the next thing you know, he's like, "Listen, um, I want to do this story on you all, and I'm gonna have a photographer come out and take some pictures of you, and then he's going to meet with her later." So um, I call Rhonda. Her name's Rhonda Gibson. I call Rhonda. Say, "Listen, Rhonda." Um, the photographer's at my house. Are you in Cam? And she was like, yeah. So she comes over to the house. The photographer's like, I've never spent this much time on an assignment. Like, you two ladies, this story is amazing. So he takes pictures. And um, if you kind of Google unlikely friendships um, in the Enquirer, which is based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you will probably stumble upon um, our um, our pictures and our story. However, there's one picture that I really didn't like because the picture looks like she's giving me this look like mm -hmm. well actually that is not what's going on it just happened to be you know this picture you know the media is a trip but I digress so you know after seeing how both families both families reached out to me now mind you I am the victimizer's mother. They are the family and the grandmother and the surrogate mother of the victim. Normally that doesn't happen. It's like them versus us. But that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case at all. And so it got me thinking, wait a minute. I need to do some research on the dual healing theory, where the families of both sides can come together 
and go through this healing process together. I'm not saying that your circumstance will be like mine and that you will be best friends, but I've seen so many cases where the families have come together to go through this healing process. And what this podcast is designed to do is to give hope to mothers, to families, to the families of victimizers. You know, I want to say something, and this might sound a little strange, and I might even get a little uh, um, clap back from this, as they would say, but... You know, when you have a child that goes to prison, even though, you know, people say, you know, my child is dead. At least you can visit your child in prison. That is absolutely true. I 100% agree with that. But mentally, mentally, something dies in the relationship when you no longer have that physical contact with a person for some families the relationship dies completely I know of young men who are in prison who after the first year or two and they basically did their entire bid with no family support no commissary no letters no visits no nothing And so I'm really grateful that I have such a support system that allowed me to, to, you know, be there for my son, which I would have been there for him anyway, because that's my man child. And I'm not allowing nobody to tell me how I should support my child. And so this is why I, I thought it was imperative for this podcast to be birthed because there are so many other mothers like myself. There's so many other families like myself who need to know you're not alone in this. There is some empathy for you. You know, in, in, in my book, in the prelude of my book, I write how, you know, you always see it's very visible the support for victims' families, rightfully so. That is rightfully so. There should be support. There should be empathy. There should be sympathy for the families of the deceased or the victims. But what about people like me? What about people like you? For those of you that are listening, who have that child, that family member, that husband, that brother, that sister, that aunt, that uncle, that cousin, that mother who did the crime, who is the victimizer, who people will look at you funny because you are the relative of the person that did this horrific crime. You need support too. You need to know that you're not alone in this. You need to know that at the end of the day, somebody has your back. And so the episodes following 
this introductory episode, this very first episode of Pain of a Mother's Broken Heart podcast, I will be offering support. I will be having people on here to help you understand guests that will help you get into the minds and into the space of people like me, people like you. I will be having some professional guests. I will be having some former prisoners. I will be having parents and families of those on here as guests to help you understand the pain of a mother's broken heart. My heart was broken. It was shattered into a million pieces, all most like dust. There are days when I think about the day I got the call and I cringe. I'm going to be honest, right now talking about it makes me emotional. Right now, thinking about it rocks me. And it's been 11 years since my son went to prison. I'm going to tell you something. In the beginning, everyone that knows Lance knows that this boy can eat. And everybody that knows me knows that I love to cook. And anybody that knows us knows that I like to cook for my son. My son, one of his favorite meals was smothered pork chops and gravy with onions, fried cabbage, rice and gravy. For a good year, I couldn't cook that meal. I couldn't bring myself to cook that meal because just thinking about cooking it, 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 it just brought tears to my eyes. For a whole year, I couldn't go to my church. I was a member of Christ Haven Worship Center at the time. And I couldn't go because I didn't want no one to ask me, how's Lance doing? You know, that voice and that look and that tilt of a head, you know, and when people touch their chest and they'd be like, how's he doing? I didn't know how I was going to break down. I didn't know if I was just going to be like, <laughs> or, you know, I just didn't know. And so I stayed home. And I remember the one time I did go to church. And I remember um, the pastor's daughter, God bless her sister, Tanya Hatch. She had the wisdom that she didn't ask me how Lance was doing in front of people. She pulled me off to the side in the secluded place. And she asked me, how are you doing? How is Lance doing? And I broke down in tears, but I thank her because she didn't ask me in front of a bunch of people. She pulled me to the side and she asked me that. And she gave me the dignity of breaking down in isolation. And I will always, always appreciate her for doing that. I'm grateful. You know, it's been a hard 
11 years. It's been some ups. It's been some downs. But I thank God for my family. I thank God for my sister because my sister, her, and my son have this relationship where my son is her nephew son and she's his aunt dad. And so, because she always act like she's his father. Um, you know, unfortunately, through this whole process, Lance has not had the support of his father. Not at all. He's had the support of his family. Um, he keeps in contact with his cousins. He has a brother, two brothers, that he keeps in contact with. Um, his one brother, who was 16 at the time, came up here twice from North Carolina to visit him. And so I am grateful for the support that my man-child has had over these 11 years. And it is my prayer that this podcast reaches and helps at least one person every day we record, every day that we put out an episode that it will reach someone, that you will share this podcast. I want you to share this podcast. If this helped you today, if you can see how this podcast is going to help others, how that friend, that neighbor that you know who is going through the trial and the agony of having a family member in prison, share this podcast, download it and gift it to a friend. Listen, my time is up. You've been listening to Pain of a Mother's Broken Heart Podcast, where I am your host, Latanya McGorder. I want you to always remember that you do have hope. We do have hope. And through this hope, we are going to help one person every day. God bless you. And until next time, go and be great.